This is powerful, man. Risk it. People literally are dying. But it's not up to you to save them because positionally Jesus Christ already has. They just don't know. Well, this is the last and final talk from Pat Goodman. I hope these messages have been a blessing and an encouragement to you. I know they have been for me in your walk with Christ. In this final message, Pat shares a video with us before he concludes his talk, and I'll put that link in the show notes. The video is a must-watch and inspired the artwork for this episode. One final time, here's Pat Goodman. You know, I want to just uh, reiterate a couple things this morning, and I'm really looking forward to what we're going to get to do today. And then at the very end, I want to show you a video that is obviously a real true life thing that um, I came across a little over a month and a half ago that deeply impacted me. But, you know, one of the reasons I want to reiterate, we're talking about this word heart again. Um, it is mentioned over 800 times in the scriptures. And uh, the adjectives that are tied to it are pretty significant. I mean, it can be pure, clean, divided, um, uh, new, old. I mean, it's all these adjectives. And I know this, deceitful, truthful. It can be all these things in one day. Right? I mean, your, your vision of yourself changes. So this is why this is so crucial. So, so think about this. Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, he's getting ready to leave, and he looked at his disciples, and he said, look, these things that I have done, you are going to do. Now, you doesn't mean like Steve, so Steve has to feel the weight, or Brian, all or uh, but you is plural. Like, I've started something, you are going to do it. Get this, so this is the big part. Go, okay, Lord, great. But greater things than these will you do. Now, why is that? Well, you all know that Jesus was not omnipresent when he was here. He was limited. He was fully man, fully God, but he couldn't be every place at one time. But today, because Colossians 1.27 in his spirit, Jesus Christ is literally in millions of places today. As we sit here right now, he's impacting people in Indonesia, in Budapest, in Mongolia, in Charlotte. Like, you're not the only ones in Charlotte who love Jesus if you live there. Or Greensboro, you know that, right? And so what I'm saying is now, but so there's this vision, but my question I want to ask is, what kind of people does he do greater things in the world through? What kind of people are we and need to be to actually participate in what he's doing in the world? Because we can miss it, can we not? I know believers who have never intangibly felt like they have like, I mean, I work with men all the time, and I look at them, I go, listen, you don't understand, like, you don't just get to be a part of what God's doing in the world, you actually are supposed to be. But here's what I also know. Zeal and vision and energy and passion without rootedness leads to destruction and craziness and human train wrecks. I have been a part of this thing called Young Life long enough to see some of the most gifted people in the world crash. And they got a firm for it. And many we eat the soup. Like, who's the funniest program guy? like, you're the speaker. You got to speak. And, you know, you drink that water too much, man. You can start thinking you're something you're not. You can start playing into the applause of people without understanding. No, what we get to do, it isn't a performance, you guys. It's a privilege. And if you don't get rooted in this and understand, this is why we keep talking about this. There is nothing more important in your life than your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
whatever you have to do, and moment by moment, get this, isn't this awesome? If you just thought about, try this today, just thinking, he's the vine, I'm the branch. He's the vine, I'm the branch. And just live it out. Say, what does that mean? Do a little research about horticulture, viticulture, vineology, or whatever. Just look it up. Learn this stuff. Say, Lord, so that's what you mean? I tell you, your heart will start to swell. You won't want to go anywhere else. You'll start talking to Jesus as you go into Starbucks and, hey, Lord, abide right now. I'm in that chair with you in my mind and spirit with that chai tea or cup of coffee. And you and I are doing life, Lord. Is there anybody here in Starbucks that you want me to just be aware of? Just open my eyes. I trust you, Holy Spirit. Maybe the person behind the counter is just having a tough day. And you go, hey, what's your name? You know, I did this once. I was at the airport and I don't do this kind of thing. And the lady checking me out, she was crying. Now, I could have just said, that'd be embarrassing to say something about that, you know. And I, I didn't know what else to do, but I knew this. The Spirit saying, if you walk out of here without saying something to that lady, that is just not right. This was like a fishing and having a wide-mouthed bass kind of coming in. And I go, Lord, do you want me to say something? I'm like, uh, yeah. And I said, look, we've never met, and I don't know you, but it's pretty obvious you're having a hard time. I said, I just want you to know, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, and here's what she said. I hate when people like you reach out to me and show some concern. So if you just keep your mouth shut, that would be great. She did not say that. <laughs> here's what she said to me. She goes, that would be great, and thank you very much. And let me ask you, when I walked out of there, I just loved the Lord more. I, mean, I get emotional talking about it now. It's just talking to somebody that was crying. Just being able to be in a hard place. I didn't have any answers, but I can tell them something. There's a God in heaven who cares about you and knows your stuff, even if you don't think and know that he knows your stuff. You can't do anything any deeper than this. So today, I want to talk about our vision and mission because we're a part of something really big, but I want to say this. It doesn't ever exclude this. This is why we don't go into the world because the world's all beat up and lost. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels me, for I am convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those of us who actually live would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again from the dead. That's every person, whether they know him or not. They are meant to live for him who died and rose from the dead. So here's the deal. Here's what motivates me, right? My love for Jesus. No. Paul says, I'm compelled by the love of Christ, not simply my love for Christ. It's the love of Christ. This is what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. You know, Timothy's Paul's understudy. He goes, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord Timothy, that he created, that literally he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. Like Paul's kind of blown away. Like, why would he use me? He goes, this is so great. He said, I'm so thankful that God would consider me, putting me in being a servant. He gives this, even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet for this very reason I was shown mercy. So let me ask you, if you had three of your worst qualities, would you want to put them in a book that's a bestseller every year? How freed up do you have to be in love to say, hey, let me tell you what, uh, I was the worst of sinners. He says that later in that passage. But I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. And you know what? I don't really care if the whole world knows. And he says, though, that God could show me the worst of sinners. He might display his infinite patience towards those who would believe on him for eternal life. 
Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So wouldn't it be great if we could leave here today not going like, oh, man, let's go get those kids in Charlotte. Like, in one sense, yes, if it's motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. Because you don't have enough energy. You don't have all the smarts in the world. You don't have a lot of what it's going to take. But you are connected to somebody who actually does. Do you believe that? And here's the other thing we often have is we also have an enemy. We make two mistakes when we live this thing called the, the life of Jesus. And it's just we give the evil one too much credit by thinking he's Jesus' equal opposite. He's not. He's a created being, an angel. He is limited in scope. He is not omni-anything. The other mistake we make is that we think he's got nothing. And that's a mistake too. He is the father of the lies, John chapter 8. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. So when you and I think back to this, when we believe lies about ourselves that are not true, that come through true experiences, deposit us and hold us, a stronghold is something that's strong and has a hold. Huh. It's not some weird thing that the whammy Satan puts on you. It's a lie that you've believed that holds you in bondage that Jesus Christ has already liberated you from. The work has been done. He has reconciled us. Colossians chapter 1. Having made peace through his blood shed on a cross. It's, it's done work. But I'm telling you, we can be held in bondage in almost a false prison. By things that we believe that are not true, that the evil one uses as a father of the lies. And so I'm just saying this is part of it. So we are in the process, aren't we, as we go to broken kids. We're kind of going as Kinsuki art, right? We got our own cracks. He's molded them with his beauty. But we still, even as we go, God is transforming us from one image of glory to another. Right? So we're, this is why now we're saying we're wounded healers. I mean, we're kind of doing our own work as we're entering the work of other people's journeys. And how well you've done this is going to determine the compassion and the connection level with which you can touch other people. You don't feel like you got to change them. You're trying to introduce them to a greater love because a greater love has constrained you. And it's so freeing, you guys. You cannot fix anybody. So let it go. So this morning, with this kind of background, I want to introduce us into something. So um, whew, this is really good, isn't it? So here we sit in the world. I mean, at Windy Gap on this beautiful December 13, 2018. And it's hard to imagine there's a big world going on out there, isn't it? But I just want to ask you on a macro scale, not just what we're going here, what's going on in the world today, massively, around the globe, and do you and I believe that we actually have a part in what God's doing in the world? Now, here's what you need to understand. If I were to ask you what time is it, you would look at your watch and go, well, dude, it's like 9.45. I go, yep, that's not what I mean. I want to know what time is. On a macro level, what time is it? Like, we got a moment in time. Like, for some reason, this is our time. There are people, generation after generation after generation, who passed the baton of faith in Jesus Christ. 
right? Like we're here because somebody cared. How many of you met the Lord because somebody reached out to you in your life? I raised my hand. You see, somebody said, what I got, I can't keep. I got to give it away. So I just want to put a new phrase in your mind. If somebody says, what time is it? And you think on a grand scale, not simply on a watch scale, the answer to that question is this, because we're part of a grand story, a bigger story is, you need to say it's kingdom building time. What time is it, Carolina region? Time. So in your mind, I'm going to camp. In your mind, I want you to hear this. And we're building the kingdom, baby. This thing is way beyond young life, you guys. Young life isn't big. Jesus did not come. This might crazy. This might blow a socket for a few of you, but he didn't come to bring Christianity. All right? He never used the word. It's not a bad word. He just didn't come to bring it. What he came to bring is what he mentioned over 100 times in the Gospels is this thing called the kingdom of God. And sometimes Christianity looks like that, and sometimes it does not. You cannot go around the world and talk about Christianity. In many people's minds, it's an oppressive faith. There was a time where people in the name of Christianity legitimized slavery. There are people who love Jesus. We get this thing wrong. But the fact of the matter is the kingdom of God is about salvaging what is God's already. It's about salvaging and building and moving history towards an end. And it's profoundly powerful. This is why in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus, when he came, he says, Behold, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Now, here's a crazy thing. In Acts chapter 1, let me read this to you. Acts chapter 1 uh, Luke writes again, in my formal book, Theophilus, which would be the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about, get this, all that Jesus, you missed this, I did too, began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. I want to read that one more time. I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now, you know, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus comes back. He uh, appears uh, just walking through. His, think about having his resurrected body. Jesus doesn't knock. He just literally appears. And, and they can't believe it for joy, the scripture says. And he, he has to prove to them he's alive. So he goes, I guess this is what you do after you're resurrected. You're hungry. He goes, you guys have anything to eat? And he takes a piece of fish and he eats it and bread. And I'm sure they're looking to see if it hits the ground, you know. Like, is this a ghost or what, they think. No, it's, it's him. And he tells them what they're going to do in the world. They're about ready to leave. And he goes, no, but do not leave until you get what? Power. The Holy Spirit from on high. And so Luke is basically saying, he's saying this, but all, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He didn't complete it. So if he began to do it, what does that mean? If he just began it, that must mean it's not ready or completed yet, which must mean somebody else is going to take the baton. And so we know, we read this verse, Acts 1.8, you know, we all know that. It says he appeared to them over a period of time, 40 days, and he spoke about Christianity. Nope, about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem again, but wait for the gift that my father promised. See, you got work to do, but you need something you don't have. And it's not relying on you. It's still going to be about me just now doing it in you. I could not be every place when I was here. Now I can be a lot more places in you doing what I want to do through you. But wait for the Holy Spirit, which John, who baptized with water, excuse me, uh, 
from what you've heard me speak about. We'll go down. And then Jesus said this, verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has sent for his own authority. But you, this is so common we miss this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Do you ever think you have power in conversation with kids that you, didn't, you just don't get from anywhere else? Power for insight, power to listen, power to speak truth. You will if you pray as you're listening. Like you're even listening to a person go, Lord, help me to hear what I'm not hearing. In your own mind, you're just praying this. Lord, is there a word for this person? You might get a nudge. It's just, just pray for him. Pray for him. Get, Lord, that's crazy. I know, but do it. Just do it. See what happens. I'm telling you, these things are crazy. Like, we all want to experience the Lord. There's times where you've done this. You get back in your car and you go like, Lord, I don't know what happened. I think I just tasted a miracle. He goes, well, it's a miracle from your side of the ledger. It's all in a day's work for me. It's just kind of what I do. And I want to do more and more of this. If you'll just talk to me. See, I'm in you. I want to abide with you. Like, this isn't me watching you live your life. I'm actually in you. I want to help you live your life. Just talk to me. And then shut up and listen. Learn what my voice feels like and sounds like. You learn this by practicing. This is so great. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and also Mary, ends of the earth. This is so great. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Can you imagine that? And then it says, while they were looking intently up into the skies, he was going. Then suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Seriously? You don't make this stuff up. This is crazy great. And then it says, men of Galilee, they asked, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Seriously? And then he goes, the same Jesus, the same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. So he was here, and he left, and he's coming back. And when he left, until he comes back, what time is it? Yes, it is. This is so important. And what Jesus started with the coming, the bringing of the kingdom, you know, when you have the kingdom, it means you also have a what? A king. And in the king's kingdom, the king rules with his own dominion and authority. And what Jesus brought was literally the rule again, the way it ought to have been of God and his values and his ways and his creational intent beginning to be honored. And he brought, if you will, God's shalom so people could see how life ought to be. And it's nothing missing, nothing broken. I don't have time for this, but I wish I did. Maybe we can come back sometime. But in every gospel story, the whole story is there. And I just want to take one little side tangent. So when you please give a person of Jesus talk, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm still hearing Young Life Talks and leaders, and I do not mean this arrogantly, but I've heard college leaders give a person of Jesus talk, and they'll talk about maybe the healing of the leper. And here's the point of the talk, the person of Jesus talk. Jesus loves outsiders. And they'll, they'll, they'll give a short little illustration. They'll, they'll do it. Jesus loves outsiders. Let's pray. And may some of you feel like an outsider. Jesus cares about people like you. Let's pray. Listen, this isn't funny. This is real. Do you think a 16-year-old kid's going to go home and think about that? Jim Rayburn said in every message, it's proclamation. It's not apologizing. We're proclaiming a reality and giving people something to believe and something to do. And in that leper story, creation is in it, the fall is in it, redemption's in it, and restoration in the future's in it. Yo, how? Let me ask you. 
Was that leper created to be a leper? No. He was not as he ought to have been. You can share. What I'm trying to say is, let you share the story. The scriptures will speak. You can lay on one point more than the other, but I'm telling you, man, if you let it do, here's what kids will do. They'll go like, oh my gosh, like that actually makes sense. There's, that's fullness. And here's the fall in that story. This guy became something he was never created to be. He was diminished. He was overlooked. His body was reeked with pain. He was discredited. This is not the way God created us to be. And redemption is Jesus Christ comes into the story and changes his situation and his future. And when he runs into a person of Jesus, you're never the same. Whatever you think of him, whatever the crowd thought of Jesus Christ at that moment, he was not religious, he was not insignificant, but he saw what no one else sees, and he sees in you what no one else sees. And when you get discredited, and you get overlooked, and you think that there's things that are beyond repair, I want you to know whether you believe it or not that there's a God in heaven who created you and understands you and knows more about you and only wants you to be whole. I told this to high school kids, and they're like, really? Yeah. And what do you think that man's life was like after he ran into Jesus Christ? You think he was going to church every day? No. He hopped and he ran and he laughed and he got included back into the community and he realized that he was somebody that nobody else ever saw. You can live however you want running by the world's estimation. You can run by a different scorecard or you can begin to lean into the one who has the power to help you understand you like you never understood you. What do you want? I just gave you a young like person of Christ talk. You guys, we don't get lots of opportunities to do this. Do you know what a miracle it is that 30, 40, 50, 200 kids would sit in a room and give you their minds and hearts for 15 or 20 minutes and the best we can do? Who are we? We give talks like it's an information dump. I keep telling people, don't stand up and tell kids about Jesus if the Jesus you're going to talk to kids about hadn't captivated your heart. Just don't even do it. Give, let somebody else do it. And we get so jacked, that's going to be a good talk, good talk, I get a good talk. Was it a good talk? Was it a good talk? I get all that. We need to train. But you guys, we got to get over it. Who's that about? That's about a performance. That's not a privilege. You ought to go to club if you're speaking, thinking, my gosh, can we just start with a talk? Like, I am so excited about what I'm going to share. Can we just start with that? That would be great. I mean, you ought to feel that. I mean, read it, be in it. Gosh, I didn't mean to go there, but I couldn't help myself. All right. Here's what I'm trying to say, though. So between when Jesus came and when he's coming again, what's going on? It's kingdom building time. You and I, I want you to hear this. We're part of something so magnificent, so grand that's going on in the world today. We can miss this. Like, you know, history is moving in a direction. It is not up for grabs. God Almighty is doing profound things in the world. Do you believe that? We are one piece of this thing called the body of Christ, and it's a magnificent piece. I happen to believe it's a very significant strategic piece, personally. I do not know why people don't think about working with young people. They're only going to be the old people down the road. Like, they're the easiest people. Like, now is the time. But I'm trying to encourage you to see where we fit in this story. So think about this with me. For I want to give you an illustration that I learned from a guy named Albert Walters that was very helpful to me, and this is obviously a time warp, but if you think about creation, when God created the world, that we're just kind of moving along the timeline, okay, of time, <clears throat> and then we have the fall, and <clears throat> we have the you know, nation of Israel is raised up, and the prophets, and then we have this 400-year period after the fire, we don't hear much, and then all of a sudden we have this thing called Christmas, <laughs> 
Jesus Christ enters the world. God gives a vision of it here even in creation through the nation of Israel. He's going to raise up a leader like Moses. The prophets talk about him, right? And then it says, at the right time, that God Almighty comes into the world. And he's with us. Woom! Comes here. And then Jesus is here for 33 years. And then he goes back to the Father, right? And now there's this time. We don't know when. But Jesus Christ is actually going to come again, isn't he? In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says this. And one day, this is crazy, the trumpet of God is going to sound. And all those who have died in Christ are going to come with him in the air. And I, I start thinking of people. I start thinking of my buddy Dave Meeks, who was on our staff for years, died 18 years ago. I did his wedding, then I did his funeral seven years later. His daughter and I, literally to this day, she's 21, we text every day. Three things we're grateful for every morning. I think of her son, Jonathan. I could go on and on, right? One day the trumpet of God's going to sound. And everyone who's died in Christ is going to come with him. (laughs) And then those of us who are still alive, we're going to be caught up with him in the air. And we'll go to be with him forever. So encourage one another with these words. So you grieve but not without hope. Oh, now here's the deal. I don't know where we are in that timeline. I know this. We're one day closer than yesterday, and here's what I know. You and I got the baton. We're part of the team of John 14, 12, who's got the baton. There's millions of us, but we all got one. We all got one. Now here's what I know. On um, June 6, 1944, you know what that was called? It's called D-Day. And on D-Day... The U.S. and Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and really pushed back the forces of, you know, conquered literally the, the, this rogue nation of Germany. Historians say this, had D-Day not occurred, we'd have never won that thing. But that day, they said, objectively, the war was won on D-Day. But Victory Day, V-Day, did not happen for a year later in May of 1945. But had D-Day not occurred, there would have been no V-Day. Does that make sense to you? But in between D-Day and V-Day, there still were battles, skirmishes. People had to, literally gave their lives. The forces of evil, though they were defeated, they didn't want to give up easily. So they tried to combat, you know, the allied forces that were coming at them. This is a picture of us. Think about this. D-Day, in many ways, is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal, you guys. We win. This isn't like, you know, jacked up stuff. We literally have won. Do you think we don't win? 1 John 4, 4, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, but the one in the world does not want to give up easily. And so here's the deal. If he knows he's lost, then what he wants to do at least is hamstring God's people until this V-Day when Jesus Christ comes again and puts the final nail, if you will, in the coffin. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul says this, and one day the last enemy, death, will be destroyed. Jesus gave a vision of it, but one day there's going to be no more dying, no more pain, no more tears. And here's what I know. When people say, well, why do we keep dying then if Jesus rose from the dead? Part of me is, I don't know except this. Death preaches. And I don't care who you are, death makes you deal with the reality of the vaporness using Luke, I mean James 4 of life. And everybody's got to answer that question, right? Even atheists show up at funerals. 
But my point simply is, between D-Day and V-Day, there's battles, right? And this is the time when we are doing greater things, moving this thing forward. But here's the deal. If he can't win, what he wants to do is hamstring God's people. So he disillusions us, he discourages us, he condemns us, he helps us continue to just limp through life, being moderately impacting by dragging our old crap around, wondering what's going on. And so I'm focusing all my life on me and me and me. When Jesus is saying, you're part of something bigger. I love you. You are. We can do this. I want to transform you, and I'm going to use you even in the midst of your stuff. You're still a part of the greatest thing going on in the world. Does this make sense to you guys? This is why it's not just another day. None of us should get up and go, that's ah, just another day. No, it's not. If you knew tomorrow was your last day, this day would not just be another day. I promise you that. Wouldn't it be awesome? Dick Calverson taught me this. He said, before you ever get up in the morning, start training your mind that your first thoughts would be towards God. Say the Lord's Prayer. Before you even get out of bed, you pray. Maybe you'd even say this. You learn it. It's not just another day, Lord, is it? No. It's kingdom building time, isn't it? Yeah. Where? Man, today. I got a couple meetings with a couple committee guys, a couple leaders. I'm going to go to high school. Wow, that's awesome, Lord. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Because you're the vine. I'm just a branch. Man, I'm honored to be a branch today. Because today I don't have to be enough because you're enough. And so, Lord, what do you want me to be? I'm yours. Take me. That's awesome. God, if you would give me the glory at the end of the day and we lay down tonight together, I just pray as I review my day that I'll just see moments where you and I have conversed and I've tried to be applicable to your hand. Maybe you'll lay in bed that night and go, man, today, Lord, I fumbled a few times. Yeah, you did. You did. But you know what? I love you. Peter fumbled too. So did a few other dudes. But you know what? In one sense, like, you guys are all I got. <laughs> and I want you. But do you have eyes to see it? Do you see what I mean? This is so powerful, you guys, and it's so disheartening sometimes when we've been made for more and we settle for so much less. You're made for more and we settle for so much less. Yes, there's a clash of kingdoms here. I get that. But Jesus Christ, he's coming back. We win. There's no uncertainty about this. And sometimes, you know, uh, there's a powerful thing about dominion in Scripture. You may not have known this, and then I want to show you this clip. You know, Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> um, I mean, Genesis chapter 1, God created mankind. He says, he gave us what? He created us in his image, and we were to have dominion and to rule. Dominion basically means we were to steward, to have responsibility for, to manage, or to, if you will, develop God's undeveloped world. Isn't that amazing? And do it in response to him. Well, one of the things that the evil one had to do, we were given that responsibility. As human beings made in the image of God, we were given God's right from God to have dominion in response to him of his created world. The fact of the matter is the evil one couldn't do anything in this world until he had us give up dominion. Think about that. The evil one can't just do whatever he wants in the world because if he did, we wouldn't have Windy Gap. You and I wouldn't leave our houses. But what he does is he has us give up rule and dominion and settle for less, and he just does his thing. I can't tell you 
the men who've given up dominion of their marriages. The people who've given up dominion of seeing themselves the right way. Kids without even knowing it, giving up the dominion of their wholeness. We do this all the time. And Jesus Christ is saying, look, I came back. I won that back. I restored that. You're mine. Now let's take back what is yours because of me. And there's time for some of us to say, it's time to take some stuff back. And so if we really believe that there's things going on in the invisible world, and I don't mean like do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do weird crap, but here's what I know. Though we live in this world, we do not wage wars. This world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power. Why? Because we need divine power. We are not messing around with fireworks. This is nuclear ballistic crap. And people are getting taken out every day. And if we believe that this was that kind of stuff, that the human heart is that profoundly powerful for good or evil, and it wants things, then you and I probably, and I know this is true for me, would be praying. Our son Josh today at 2 o'clock, he's on staff in Baltimore City. I don't have time to go into it, but if you guys have read anything in the paper, most people aren't thinking, boy, where do I want to move? Baltimore City, that's a good place. Per capita murder rate, one of the highest cities in the world, in the country. 80% of it is probably drug-related. I would here to tell you, it's an amazing city. It really is. I have the privilege almost every Thursday afternoon to go down with my son and a bunch of other folks, and I just sit in a room because I can't get away from kids. I just love being in I'm literally sitting in a room with 8 to 20-some young men uh, from Baltimore City. They're 16 to 18 years old. You wouldn't believe some of our campaigners. I mean, I mean we call it gents. These guys are all over the map in the Lord. Some love Christ, some don't. They're there. They want to learn. It's the rawest, most beautiful thing I've gone to in years. I mean, what they know and don't know, the comments. My son and I look at each other and I just shake our head. We're going like, what? I'll tell you one of them. It's the funniest thing in the world. So this is a couple years ago. Josh, we're talking about Luke chapter 5. And I, I'm, so hold the kids' ears because I have to give you the full effect of this, okay? So, um, and I'm going to show you this clip. We got time, right, Steve? Yeah, so it's real quick, real quick. But so anyway, so we get, you know, it, literally every other time we're talking about sex, which I wish we could have, oh, my gosh. And to help these guys begin to think up a theology of sex without even knowing it has been life transforming. So we're in this meeting one time, and Josh is doing Luke 5. He goes, well, let's just play out the guys so you guys know who's who. And he goes, okay, now, Peter, what was Peter? He's a fisherman. Yeah, we're fishermen, dude. Like fish, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, uh, he goes, now, Jesus, what was Jesus? And the kid goes, he's a carpenter. He goes, well, what do carpenters do? And this kid goes, they lay carpet. <laughs> and, kid went, and, and another kid across the room goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> we go from like, there's a fisherman. He's a fish. He's a carpenter. What do they do? They lay carpet. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, this is our meeting, Okay. Josh looks at me, and he, everything we can do to not just, like, fall out. I mean, it is so, he goes, well, that's not quite right, so let's try to, you know. But this kind of stuff happens all the time. Here's what I want to say. I get emotional when I think about this. See, it's not just another day. So earlier this year, Josh calls me. He goes, hey, Dad, I'm thinking about doing this, something on prayer with these guys tonight. And in my educated mind, I'm going, son, I don't even know if any of them pray. In my mind. 
He goes, I really think, I'm really excited about doing this thing. I didn't say anything. He's just kind of talking himself into it. And, you know, I'm 41 years on staff. I know what to do. And I'm thinking, man, I don't think I'd do that if I were you, you know. I didn't say anything. And I go, that sounds good to me. So we go to this gents meeting. There's 15 guys there from Baltimore City, from Douglas High School, one of the toughest schools in the city. Freddie Gray riots, kids out of that school help initiate some of that stuff. Two of them were in our group. So um, we have this meeting. They do this, Josh does this amazing little lesson, 12 minutes on prayer. Ask the guys, what do you guys ever think of prayer? Like, what do you, what's your image of prayer? What do you think about it? It was amazing. He goes, okay, get your book bags. We're leaving. They go, what? Where are we going? He goes, we're going we're gonna to go somewhere. What? See, Jesus, we often think Jesus taught people, and then they went to do stuff. What Jesus actually did, he had people do stuff, and then he taught them. I'll tell you, whatever you do with kids in discipling, you better build some more experiences in it. Why is work crew so impacting? Because you're doing stuff. You're getting pissed at people. You're tired. You have to work stuff out. It's like, so anyway, we go up to Douglas High School. And Josh goes, okay, get around here. Okay, every leader, two guys with every leader, three guys. Go, what do you want us to do? I want you to walk around the school. We're going to pray for, we're going to pray for your school. And in my mind, I'm going, like, Josh, I don't know if these guys pray. I'm telling you what happened. Every kid went with the leader, and they were praying. I'm going to pray for my dad. I'm seeing my dad. I'm going to pray for Joe, my brother. I'm just pray for school, city. Here's the most powerful thing. Number one, you know who was in school that night, right? The old man. Because, see, I wasn't thinking like it's a kingdom-building time. I'm just thinking we're just throwing out potato chips. And Josh gets all these guys together. They're all lined up. He goes, turn around. Turn around, and you see the <clears throat> silhouette of the city. And he goes, what do you guys think about when you think of your city? And they started sharing some powerful stuff. He goes, we're going to pray for that too right now. Started praying. And then he looked at him and he said this, you know how the city's going to ever change if it's going to change? And he goes, it's going to be you guys. If it's ever going to change, it's going to take you to do it. I went home that night, I don't think I felt more alive in weeks. And I'd been to a lot of Bible studies and led some. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? This is powerful, man. Risk it. People literally are dying. But it's not up to you to save them, because positionally, Jesus Christ already has. They just don't know. So I want to show you a clip and then read you a story and we're done. It's 10 minutes, and it's worth every 10 minutes. Something happened on 9-11 that I don't think most of us in this room have ever heard about, and it was probably the greatest, in fact, it was the greatest water rescue in the history of mankind. So watch this, and then I want to read you something. All right, now you're going to want to press pause and actually go watch this. It is 10 minutes, actually it's 11 minutes, and it's worth every second. Go to YouTube and type in Greatest Water Rescue 9-11, and you'll see a man with a mustache. That's the one you want to click. It's awesome. It's probably a story you never knew happened on 9-11, and it makes a great visual. So go stop, watch that. The link will be in the show notes, but I never really know how you get to the show notes. That's just kind of a thing you say. Anyway, back to Pat. How powerful is that, huh? No training. Just do what you got to do. 
I want to say something, and I don't mean it like this, but you know, when I first met the Lord, nobody had to talk to me about sharing Jesus. And then I learned how to share Jesus. And I started having trouble doing it. I think Young Life, we got the greatest training in the world. Honestly, I don't know anybody that does it better. But I also know this, training without heart, you'll trust the training more than your heart. And that would be tragic. Because one of the things Jesus did, he trained the disciples by having them watch him bring a message and watch what his hands did. Did you hear what these people said? They didn't know what they were doing. They just responded. Big boats, little boats, all kinds of people. It didn't matter. There's no competition. People were dying. You guys, we're part of the greatest thing in the world. And we win. And I just want to encourage you today. You don't have to be enough. But please be what you are. And maybe next time you bomb up to a high school or middle school or some teen moms or city or rural area and you're scared and a little bit of faith, just say, you know, it really ain't about the branch. It's about the vine. So, Lord, I'm bringing all that to you, but I'm going to show up because I can't not do it. And I don't know whether you guys are going to stay on Young Life staff your whole life or not. Chances are you probably won't for a lot of you. Most people don't do this thing for 40-some years. I get it. But you're part of the kingdom. You can love kids no matter what you're doing. You can run a Young Life club no matter what you're doing. I hope you will. And I will say this. Sometimes when people leave Young Life, it's almost like they quit doing anything for the kingdom. In some ways, it just pushes you. So I want to read you a quick story and ending. This comes from a great book, I hope I can get through it, called Tattoos of the Heart by Gregory Boyle. It's one of the greatest books I've read. It's raw, but it's so beautiful. He was a Catholic priest in L.A., buried 129, at least, gang members. It's the most beautiful book I've ever read. And just to give you an illustration, he was working with one gang member trying to help him get a job. And the guy came to him one day and he goes, man, I'm really having trouble getting a job. Man, I don't know what's wrong. And he looked at the guy, and he had F.U. tattooed on his forehead. He goes, well, maybe we ought to get that taken off first. That would help. So they started a tattoo removal business and some other stuff. But I just want to read you this. And he writes, God can get tiny if we're not careful. I'm certain that we all have an image of God that becomes the touchstone, the controlling principle to which we return when we stray. He goes, my touchstone image of God comes by way of my friend and spiritual director, Bill Kane. Years ago, he took a break from his own ministry to care for his dad, who was dying of cancer. He says his father had become a very frail man, and he was dependent now on Bill to do everything for him. Though he was physically not what he had been, the disease was wasting away his body, but his mind, his dad's mind, remained alert and lively. So in the role reversal, common to adult children who care for their dying parents, Bill would put his dad to bed now and then <clears throat> read him to sleep exactly as his father had done for him in childhood. Bill would read from some novel and his father would lie there staring at his son, smiling. Bill, though, was exhausted from the day's work and he'd plead with his dad. He goes, Dad, look, here's the idea. I read, you go to sleep, okay? His father would impishly apologize and then dutifully close his eyes 
But this wouldn't last very long. Soon enough, Bill's father would pop one eye open and smile at his son. Bill would catch himself and wind up, Dad, come on. You know the drill. I read, you sleep. The father would oblige again until he couldn't anymore, and the other eye would open to catch a glimpse of his son reading to him. This went on and on, and after Phil's, Phil, uh, Bill's father passed away, Bill knew that this evening ritual was really a story, a beautiful story simply of a father who couldn't take his eyes off his kid. How much more so, God? Anthony DeMello writes, Behold the one beholding you and smiling. Well, I hope you pause, and like we did the last two other episodes, you circle or text yourself, what is the one thing you're walking away from Pat's talks? For me, it was this idea. Do I pray for people when I'm listening to them? Do I ask the Lord to give me some insight to share or just listen? I just love the way Pat constantly pushed us to just remaining and constantly abiding in Christ. Hey, 2019 is going to be a great year, and we're looking forward to having some great content that'll help you grow closer to Christ and give you help as you become Jesus with flesh to people. Later in January, I'll hopefully record some of the seminars and the speaker from our Leader Weekend. Who will be John Vickery? Pretty pumped. Music used in this episode was from Peter Bradley Adams called The Longer I Run. Here's a 2019.